0: All right, so um, today we're going to uh, continue the We Believe series on what the Revived Church believes. If you ever need to know what these are, they're on the website under About Us. Um, so the one that I'm preaching today is the Bible, you know, pretty basic one right there. Um, on the website and, you know, our bylaws and all that fun stuff, it says basically this in regards to the Bible. The Bible, um, both the Old and the New Testament, is the inspired infallible, which infallible in this case means unable to make mistake or be wrong Word of God, so our belief in, at revived church is that about the Bible. Uh, we believe that it is inspired in this belief that it's inspired by God, so we believe that God arranged for the Bible to become a you know a collection of writings like poems, um, songs, you know books, historical things, prophecy, all that we believe that God purposely and put all of that together into what we consider the Bible. Um, When it's infallible, we mean that uh, we believe that it's the truth. It's nothing but the truth. There is no lies in the Bible. We believe that, and it's critical that we believe that. Otherwise, you know, Christianity would probably (laughs) fall apart. (laughs) Um, uh, We consider it the word of God, um, which means that um, whenever, you know, God speaks something in existence that's the truth. So if there's a promise in the Bible then we believe that that to be true and we believe it to be from God. So there's power behind those words. They're not just words on a paper. This Bible itself right here is worthless unless you open it up and actually look at the words, listen to the words and read those words, right? I don't even use the paper Bible half the time. I just brought it as a prop. I'm more (laughs) of a digital guy. So um, if you're just, you know, just having your Bible there, it's completely worthless to you unless you open it. And that's, you know, what we believe here. Um, Which actually reminds me, um, I know there's a lot of, people in, I know the Catholic faith, for example, but it even happens in the Protestants and the Orthodox, they'll have, like, a a family Bible that's in, like, a glass case that they, like, worship and don't read it. Like, nobody else has a Bible, and that's just the family Bible. It's an heirloom. You know, it's cool that it's an heirloom and whatnot, but they never open it, so they never experience the power of that particular Bible, right? So, um, God's words say, you know, what's going to happen, what has happened, what he, you know, believes in, what Promises he had, the power and whatnot, right? So let's talk about the Bible a little bit. Where did it come from? So um, what we have today as a Bible, we call this thing called the canon, right? The canon is essentially it's a list. Um, It's more than a list, but it's it's essentially a list. Um, The the definition behind canon, um, if you were try to like break it down, is we believe that the canon is genuine. It means you know not a facility or fake or whatever. Um, we believe it's official, which is, um, you know, we believe that it's the the authority on what God has to say. Um, we accept it as, you know, a multitude of believers. Um, we've come together and we b- agree that this canon is what, you know, God had to say. Um, and um, it's just that we also believe that the canon was given by God. Man did not create the canon. We did not look, hey, You know, 66 books, I think that sounds like a good number, let's throw it in the Bible. We didn't make that up, God made that up. You know, he didn't make it up, but he (laughs) declared that, right? So, um, what we believe is essentially, you know, a little bit different than, you know, other uh, Christian faiths, for example. I think ours is actually, as a Protestant faith, is a little bit more refined and a little more true in my opinion. But we believe there's 66 books in the Bible um, every Christian faith, uh, major, majority Christian faiths anyway, they believe that there's, I think, 27 you know, writings in the New Testament. Others believe there's more um, in the Old Testament than we do. Um, like, for example, the Catholics believe there's 73 Bible, or books in the Bible. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox believe 79. And the Ethiopian Orthodox were like, eh, 80 sounds like a good number. So they have 80 in there. <laughs> but um, as Protestants, we typically tend to reject those additional books. We call them the Apocrypha. Um, I'm not sure if anybody's ever heard of that, but you don't see those in this Bible. Like I have an ESV Bible in here, and there's all those extra books that are not in there. And there's a reason why we reject them, and it's the same reason why we um, reject the thousands of other writings that were during Jesus' time and other throughout the history. Like, for example, there have I think there was uh, about 3,000 writings that we found that described Jesus' life, but those writings were not um, in enough, um, factuality to, and they kind of contradict others' writings, so we can't, you know, accept those writings. Like, for example, there probably is some, you know, good wisdom in those other 3000's writings. There's probably some wisdom in the Apocrypha and these other books that the other, um, our other Christian, you know, faiths believe. But it's so dangerous to actually look at those particular books and include those into our, our religion because those tiny little bits of nuggets of wisdom that we may glean from them that actually may be the truth, are surrounded by these huge gaping lies and huge um, gaping like doctrinal conflicts Um, for example um, there's maccabees which is in the apocrypha it actually says that we can pray to dead people pretty sure that's not legit you know because (laughs) (laughs) that's just weird (laughs) Um, that's called i think necromancing if i remember correctly and that's you know listed in Maccabees and there's probably something good in Maccabees but there's that gaping flaw that if just as a layman if we take that and read that we have to <coughs> separate fact from fiction and it you know completely messes up our theology another really big one is there's this book i can't remember it starts with a t it's like tosias or tobias or something like that it's in the apocrypha as well and it actually teaches that you can be saved by your works completely lie right there we know in james that you cannot be saved by your works we know all throughout the new testament you cannot be saved by your works and if you take that and try to include that in your Bible and try to say that's authoritative and that that is uh, you know, the foundation of the church right there, then you could lead people astray and you can run into a place where, oh, I did all this work, so I'm such a good person because I did all this work in the faith, but you would never had faith, and then you just go to hell at that point, right? Because you never had faith. That's what's required to be saved. So we tend to you know, exclude those, and we exclude them on that basis that they don't you know, jive with the rest of the Bible, essentially. So, what are some characteristics of the canon? So, uh, the canon is, some, we, we came up with these characteristics after the Bible was written and whatnot, after the, the books have, you know, been included in the Bible, because technically God gave the canon to man. Man did not create the canon. These are just what describes the canon to us. So, was the book written by a prophet of God? Yeah, so like if you look at Moses and you know, especially the prophets, of course, <laughs> they were written by prophets of God. Um, Was the writer confirmed by acts of God? Again, we can take a look at, like, Moses, for example. He was splitting rivers or or the Dead Sea and, like, hitting rocks with sticks and making water come out of them. Those are acts of God. We can verify those not just based on Moses' accounts but other accounts that he did that stuff, that the apostles did the things that they did, right? So we can assume that that is something that God wanted included in the Bible. Um, Does the message tell the truth about God? This is a big one, obviously. Um, if we wanted to go back to those other books that I was talking about in the Apocrypha, they don't tell the truth about God's nature. He didn't, he didn't set up a system where we talk to our dead relatives, you know? We talk to God when we're praying, right? Um, and we have faith in his son is for salvation. And then uh, the last one is, was it accepted by God's people? So this is, you know, obviously a big one, is um, does the whole body of the church decide that this actually lines up with, you know, what actually happened. So if you think about it, let's think back to Jesus's days, for example. He had, you know, thousands of people following Jesus, right? Um, if somebody wrote something down in a book, like say the the Gospels, for example, and then somebody wrote something completely different, like the Gnostic Gospels, which are like a, a lie, essentially, if you ever look them up, you can see that all these people get behind this particular Gospel, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whereas um, you have like the Gospel of Thomas, and nobody gets behind that because it doesn't jive with all the other writings and all the other thousands of people and what they witness, right? So we immediately reject the Gospel of Thomas and we stick with the other, you know, four Gospels, for example. So um, that's essentially kind of the canon, right? Um, you know, the, the Bible itself, right? It's, you know, we believe it to be true. Um, it's written by God's people, of course, but God gave man what he put into this Bible, and that's how we define what the truth is. Um, God obviously gives other people wisdom. I have this book here. Matt Sarah gave it to me a long time ago. Um, it's called Culture of Honor. Um, Danny Silk wrote it. Great guy. I love it. But I would never take this book and shove it in here because um, God did not ordain this book to be included in the Bible. And there may even be you know, factualities that um, Danny Silk has come up with that may not agree with the Bible. I'm not saying there is, but I know, for example, um, some people believe the way that Danny Silk deals with sin in some cases does not jive with how Jesus told us to deal with sin. So you you couldn't, you know, see a factuality issue, and that's the whole point of the Bible, is none of these books will contradict each other in the Bible, where this, you know, could contradict this, right? So, let me get a drink real quick. So, that brings me to contradictions in the Bible. Like I just said, there are none. Um... There's perceived contradictions, um, which typically just are misunderstandings of either the scripture themselves, the culture, the context, or even the whole Bible as itself. Because we're not we're looking at one verse out of context and we think it says this, where this verse says that. But if you read it all together, it doesn't say that. Um, one example, which I know a lot of women hate and I hate it myself, um, when it's taken out of context, is First Timothy two twelve. It says that women shouldn't preach, you know, be leaders and whatnot. Um, but if we actually look at that and just take it out as it is at face value, it actually contradicts what the rest of the Bible says because we're interpreting it wrong, saying that women cannot preach, right? Because the rest of the Bible says we have Deborah the judge, we have uh, Priscilla the apostle, and, you know, we have all these other women. I'm not going to list them all. You can read them all in, like Fashion Rain or something like that. But um, <laughs> you have all these people that are preaching and doing the work of God. And for Paul to say to um, this church that, Um, you know, women can't preach is obviously contradictory. So we have to take a look at that verse and actually look at why did he say that to that particular church. He didn't say that in like um, any other letter. He just said it particularly in that one spot, and that one spot was going to a specific church. So we've got to look at the culture of that church, you know, what he said, um, why would he say that, what, you know, and so on and so forth. Another example is the feeding of the multitude. So um, there's two gospels that say that there's a story about five thousand in there, and there's two other gospels that say there's a story about four thousand people where Jesus and his disciples fed the multitude, right? So um, we think they're just looking at it face value, which a lot of you know people have just come to the faith and they're trying to destroy, you know, Christianity and stuff like that. They're like, this one says five thousand, this one says four thousand, this one says seven fish, this one says nine. I don't think those are actually the right numbers. But you know, <laughs> they take a look at these numbers and see differences. But if you actually take the Bible as a whole and you start to look through the rest of the Gospels and what Jesus has said and what the apostles had said in the future books, you would realize that those are actually two different events is what it's commonly held to believe. Jesus even mentions, um, I forget where it is, that they're two different events. So to just take those at face value and think there's contradictions, there's not. So, you know, all of our contradictions that we see in the Bible are always misunderstandings most of the time, or all the time, actually, because there are no contradictions in the Bible. And that's how we know it's the truth. Uh, I don't know about you, but I cannot write, you know, a giant essay and not have a contradiction in it, you know, because I'm not perfect. So it would be pretty, you know, impressive. Uh, But translations, there are, of course, differences in translations. They're not doctrinal differences, but there are different translations that translate the word of God um, in a different way, right? So that's why it's always good to take, um, you know, different translations, like I have the ESV, Um, I like to take that and compare it with the Amplified or the Passion Translation. Um, Sometimes the King James, I don't really like it, but sometimes I'll compare it to it, you know, and to get the full meaning, um, because what happens is sometimes the meaning of what's in the Bible is actually lost through translation, because, um, for example, one of the big ones is obviously agape, agape love, right? If you look at that particular word, it actually has, you know, five different meanings or so and and it's the the core of it is like the super hardcore self sacrificial love but that word commonly in most bible translations like the esv gets translated just to love we lost all that other meaning when we translate that um and that's usually where you see it like in a direct literal translation like the new american standard bible for example it would translate it just to love because it's just doing a one-to-one comparison right But if you come and bring into, like, the Amplified Bible or the Passion Translation or other Bibles that, you know, come and, you know, try to explain um, the culture and the meaning behind those words, that's where you run into, um, you know, a better understanding, and it's kind of good to take that particular translation and that translation, compare them, and kind of mesh them together. So that's why if somebody ever tries to bully you into one particular translation they're usually <laughs> wrong you know they can't you can't just say the king james version is the only authoritative version of the bible it's the only thing you should ever read the only time <laughs> i've ever heard that said is when there's a you know a preacher like a televangelist especially that's trying to control you and beat you out of all of your money because you can't understand you know the king james version most of the time because we don't speak old english so they try to use these confusing translations to do that so they're usually used for control, right? Um, and it's the same with um, actually, you know, reading this physical Bible here, um, you know, in paper form on my phone and actually listening to the Bible. There's no difference in any of that. So if somebody ever tries to tell you that there's a difference, you should be like, hey, you know, before we had the printing press, everybody listened to the Bible. Everybody used the audiobook. It's called The Preacher. That was the audiobook of the day. Nobody was saying to Jesus, hey, I don't believe what you say until I write it down and then read it back to myself, right? That's just, that's just ignorant, you know? <laughs> they were literally sitting there at the feet of Jesus listening to it. So if you have a hard time reading or a hard time paying attention while reading, go ahead, listen to the Bible. It's going to give you the same thing as reading it, you know? And if you hate, you know, listening, go ahead and read it. And you get the same exact thing. So that's essentially, you know, the Bible itself. its There's no contradictions. There's no, um, you know, um, lies in there. It's all truth, right? So now that we know that the Bible is truth, what does that actually mean for us, right? Why, you know, like, why do we care that the Bible is truth, you know? And the big reason is because we can create doctrines and beliefs from that now because we know that this is 100% the truth. We are able to take that and figure out what we believe, what we think God is. So one, one example is the Bible teaches us that God is a merciful God, that he is a righteous God, he is um, a loving God, you know, those types of things. We know them because the Bible is truth. So if, if we read those in the Bible and it says that God is those three things and many other things, of course, if we take those three things, we're able to establish that God is merciful, uh, loving, and, you know, righteous, right? So we can believe that and then we can work that into our beliefs and we can go about our days. And that's why it's important because we can go about our days and realize that we have a loving and merciful God, and we have a God that will always, you know, be the winner in, against our enemies. He says he'll make our enemies footstools. He'll take the vengeance. God will do that, and it says that in the Bible. And we have to be able to read the Bible listen to the Bible and know that it's the truth to realize that truth is true, right? Um, it helps us establish um, relationship boundaries and protocols, such as marriage and children, for example. We believe that marriage is, you know, a man and a woman, a wife, you know, and a husband, one and one. And there's not like, let's go marry 50 wives, you know. That's not something in the Bible that is actually preached. It says a man of one woman. And that's what we believe. So it allows us to build that particular um, protocol around marriage, you know. And it um, allows us to build the protocol around our children. Our children should listen to our parents, right? The Bible says in Ephesians that, Um, I think it's Ephesians 6, if I remember correctly, that children should listen to their parents and that parents should be loving and should be, um, you know, giving good gifts to their children and whatnot, like it says in Matthew, right? So once we're able to see that and read that in the Bible, it helps us to actually mold our lives into what they should be and what the truth is because if we try to mold our lives in a way that is contrary to the Bible, we have molded our lives on a lie, essentially, and a lie can never stand, and it will... Somebody will eventually, you know, destroy that lie or your lie will be found out type of thing, right? Um, It allows us to believe in the afterlife and the resurrection. So um, if we take a look at the Bible, for example, and see all of the promises that we have in the New Testament in the afterlife, we're able to take that and have belief and hope that when we die, we do go to heaven. We're not like, like, I don't even understand how people live, to be honest, without the Bible. Like, I, I try to take a look at, like, atheists, for example, and I'm like, how do, how do you have hope? How do you continue to go about your day without believing in the afterlife and the resurrection? Like, what do you do? Like, why would you not just, like, just give up on life, you know? So when we see that truth in here that there is an afterlife, we have that hope. And we have the hope of the resurrection that we're, you know, we're not just going to chill. We're going to be resurrected with Jesus, right? Uh gives us one of the most important, in my opinion. Uh, there's obviously it's my opinion, but there's a lot of important stuff in the Bible. Is the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Those are the promises that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. He says that we can be teachers and you know healers and prophets and so on and so forth. I'm not going to list them all for you. You can read them in your Bible, but you know it gives us the promise that those things are true. Um, I know there's a lot of um, a lot of um, denominations that for some reason, I don't understand how they do this, they try to take like the gift of healing and say that is no longer for today. I don't remember reading anywhere in the Bible that said healing was for this specific time and this specific place. Yeah, right. God said healing is eternal. We will always be healed by God. So when somebody says to you, like, oh, I'm believing in healing for cancer or whatever, and they say, well, that's, you know, that's not true, blah, 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 and they say they're a Christian, you can say, well, what, what? It's in the Bible and just drop your Bible on them you know, <laughs> and come back and pick it up because the Bibles are expensive, but <laughs> um, you can do that, right? Because it is a promise, and we can believe in that promise. So, when somebody, we can believe that we're being healed. We can believe that prophecy is something that actually happens because it's not something that died with the apostles. It's something that lives on because the Holy Spirit lives on within us, and the Bible says that. Um, let's see, M. Um, another really important thing is it establishes our identity you know um this is something that really helped me in my past you know i had a very hardcore lack of identity i had all these different lies that i believed in myself but one one of the interesting ones was um i always was afraid of the dark even as an adult like it's ridiculous like kim can probably attest to how afraid of the dark i was couldn't take the trash down the end of the road uh, when I lived in an apartment by myself, I always slept with my nine mil and my knives, you know, just chilling next to me because I was so afraid. I never understood that, you know. And obviously that gets, that gets frustrating after a while. You can't live 12 hours of your life, especially during the winter, because it's dark out, right? So, um, so I was able to take a look at the Bible and start to meditate on verses. There's a verse in Timothy that says, For God gave me a spirit, not a fear, but a love, peace, and a sound mind. And when I took that verse and actually started to meditate on it and actually believe it in my heart and in my mind and in my spirit and soul, I was able to take that and actually, you know, change my life and enable myself to live the rest of the day when it's dark out, you know. And that's just, you know, obviously one small example of how it changed my identity. But um, you can ask Jade, I can take the trash down now to the end of the road in the dark. But... (laughs) Um, But, you know, it builds all that kind of stuff. Every single thing that it says about us in the Bible is stuff that we can use, especially the power that it gives us. So um, God said in, you know, the Genesis, right? He said that um, I created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke them into existence. And then another chapter later, he says, I have created man in my image, right? So if we look at that and we believe that the Bible is true, we believe that we are created in God's image first and second— we believe that what powers God has have, you know, rubbed off onto us essentially, right? So if God can speak things into existence, then we can too. And we even see that in Mark eleven twenty three, which is one of my favorite verses. He says, Wh- whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it yeah. and it shall be yours. Yeah. You know, we're speaking things into existence at that point. We have that power because that's the truth. That's what God created us to, to do. And we can see all throughout the Bible that we have that truth and that power. Um. It enables us to learn how to interact with God. So um, off in the Bible, like especially what, um, you know, Jesus had to say about um, the Lord's Prayer and things like that and how we should, you know, worship. It doesn't matter where we worship. We don't, you know, worship in the temple. We can worship on the mountains, worship in, you know, a lunchroom and a school in a small town of Hesperia, right? Um, It shows us that we can um, enhance our relationship with God through um, prayer and how to pray, how to worship and um, how to fast and how to you know build that relationship with God. That's all in the Bible and it's all true because it is there, right? Um, one other big thing is it allows us to learn how to judge um, not only ourselves, but our church body on a basis of what the Holy Spirit calls into conviction. So if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of a particular sin, we can bring up the Bible and see that that is contrary to what the truth is. So, um, for example, if uh, one member in the church was sleeping with another member of the church, out of, and it's not their spouse, obviously, we can take a look at that, and we have the Bible to, you know, <laughs> we have the Bible to judge that on. You know, we have it, and we can see that, and see that, call that out uh, because it's not righteous, and it's sin. It's not how God intended the things to be. Well, it's even better is we can call out that sin, but we can also realize that we have a savior and we have mercy and we have forgiveness because it's all throughout the the new testament and the old testament even those things right um for example in romans 8 1 it says there is no condemnation in christ jesus you know and he's talking about once we have believed in jesus and we repent we turn away from our sin and we believe we are forgiven there's no longer combination so what you've done is no longer something that's going to define your life and once you take a look at the Bible and read that and meditate on that verse and you've had that forgiveness and that, um, that restoration, you're able to live a completely different life than what you're living at this particular moment if, you know, you're in sin, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just all those different examples in the Bible and how we're able to take that because the Bible is the truth. We believe it's the truth at Revive Church and other churches, obviously, and, you know, in the Christian faith. So now that we believe it's the truth, we can take that and paste, basically look at anything in this Bible, and realize it's the truth. Um, one of my favorite verses again still is um, another one is Proverbs twenty-two seven. It says, um, which I, I I highly recommend, you know, trying to memorize verses because it makes it a lot easier to recall them and to meditate on them and, you know, try to build them into your lives. But so Proverbs 22.7 says the, um, the debtor, the person in debt, is a slave to the lender, and that is so true. I mean, like, even if the Bible wasn't true, that would still be the truth, but the Bible is true, right? Um, we are able to see that when you are, you know, worrying about where to pay your bills, you... It's harder to give sometimes because you're like, I got to give to Visa and MasterCard before I can give to the church, right? So you got to, you, you start to see that that becomes, you know, slavery at that point. But yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible. Just believe that it's the truth. And once you do that, um, your whole life can change. And once you get into it and start reading it, it's it'll change your life, right? So um, that's pretty much all I had today. So I'm um, going to go ahead and pray and And then. so God just Holy Ghost, we ask that you um that you take the Bible and that you um help us to understand your wisdom and your words when there's something that we don't understand uh We ask that the Holy Spirit comes in and is able to help us to have that understanding Father, and we ask that um, that each and every one of us we feel inclined and no longer any conviction about when we read a Bible, how we read our Bible, anything like that, Father just that we have joy when we read our Bible and that we feel that it is something that we can, that we can and should do, Father, no matter how, in what format. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for all the promises that you've given us throughout the Bible. We thank you for the truth that you've given us, the, the power, the identity, all of that that you've given us, the Bible, Father. And we thank you that um, it has stood the test of time, that it has um, been um, put up against so many adversaries. And it still come out winning on top, Father, because it is the truth, Father, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name pray. Amen.